0: Numbers chapter 20, starting verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And then Moses and Aaron went into the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he was commanded. And then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Verse fourteen: Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says, and king of Edom thus says, "Your brother Israel, you know all the the hardships that we have met. How your fathers went down to Egypt, and how we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dwelt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, He heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory." Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through the field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand until we have passed through the territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water and I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. And so Israel turned away from him. Verse 22. And they journeyed from Kadesh. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Or. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Or, on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up to Mount Or and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. And they went up to Mount Or in the sight of all the congregation And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. This is the word of the Lord. If you
1: have never heard the uh, the story of the Israelites, you may, as you are reading the book of Exodus and in the Numbers, uh, you may find yourself wondering what is going to happen here when we get to the edge of the Promised Land. This, is, this year, Exodus chapter tw- or, uh, Numbers chapter 20 is the third travelogue of the Israelites in their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. So back in Exodus 12 through 19, we saw them traveling from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, and there they camped. In Numbers 10 through 12, we saw them move from Mount Sinai to Kadesh, which is where we find them here in chapter 20. Uh, Here in chapter 20 and and into 21, which we will look at next week, Stephen will be preaching on chapter 21. You will find them move from Kadesh to the plains of Moab, right to the edge of Jericho, about ready to go in to the promised land. And so we see here in chapter 20, this here is the, the 40th year. First month of the 40th year, the people of Israel, God had told them back in Numbers chapter 14, listen, you didn't go into the promised land. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the first month of the 40th year. So you can imagine you've been wandering around, living on manna. You're you're out here. Yeah. Some of your fathers had seen the promised land and had these huge grapes and it was flowing with milk and honey. And here you are back out in the wilderness. But this is the year. It's the 40th year. We're about to go into the promised land. And you can imagine the excitement has started to rise. But the question you have to ask yourself, if you look back in Numbers chapter, 20, or, uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 26, when the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and they, he said, How long shall this wicked congregation, this is right after they rebelled against God, didn't go into the promised land. He says, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead body shall fall in the wilderness and all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Now one of them shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb and Joshua. <laughs> and so from Numbers 14 on, you have to be asking the question, what is going to happen to Moses, Aaron and Miriam? I mean, you Even in that verse, it says, you know, this is the census from 20 years upwards who have grumbled against me. So maybe Moses, Miriam, and Aaron are going to get in the land. They never grumbled against God. Maybe they're going to make it. We get to chapter 20. And it starts out and says that people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness the first month. They're about to go in. Maybe Moses, Miriam, and Aaron are going to get in. And and Miriam died there. And was buried. Kind of interesting. It just seems kind of put on the end of, chapter, or, uh, the end of verse 1, doesn't it? Just kind of thrown on there. And so here it is the first month, they're about to go into the promised land. It's the last year, the 40th year. They're going to get to go in. And oh, by the way, Miriam died and she was buried. We see here Miriam's death. The author seemingly adds this on there. And why? Why put this in at the end of the verse? Why is it even mentioned? I I think we see a couple things here. This is uh, Miriam, the one that uh, some call the most important woman in the Old Testament. This is the one, the, the prophetess, that she led Israel in song. She was the one that in Numbers chapter 12, remember when she and Aaron rebelled against Moses' leadership and she got leprosy that the whole nation delayed its march for seven days for her purification from leprosy after she had rebelled. She was held up. She was looked at as a leader. This verse, though, seems as serves as a reminder that God's judgment is just and holy, and He keeps His word. Miriam dies in the wilderness. We are also reminded by this verse that going into the Promised Land is no small price. It bears a cost, and God takes sin seriously. How many times have you said, well, it just doesn't seem, I know that's what God has said, but I just think that if God was really a God of love, he would. God says, no, I am holy. And when you sin, there is, yeah, but God, look what all she did. God is holy. I think this verse also kind of helps set up the story and the narrative for the next couple verses. Let's step away just for a minute and think of Moses. Miriam, if you remember the story of Moses, that the Pharaoh was killing all the baby boys and so his mom had this baby and she did what? She went down and they made a basket and they put her, put him in the reeds there at the edge of the Nile in the river. And who stood and watched over the basket? Miriam. Remember, the princess comes down to bathe, and she sees this, and and here's this baby. And who is the one that has the courage, you know how older sisters are, to step forward and say, Hey, I'll find somebody to take care of. Who was standing there? Miriam. And so as her mother nurses uh, Moses... Uh, up to an age where he can go live in the palace, who is the one that is taking care of him and investing in him. And now as they have started to go through and God calls Moses and Aaron to lead and Moses didn't want any part of it. Remember? And I'm sure even here in numbers 20, if he had to do it all over again, this was not his dream job, but who had always been by his side, Miriam. And here you get to chapter 20 verse one and we see Miriam dies. Can you imagine the struggle, the grief, the depression, the anger? Wait a second. Miriam had done all this. She had served, she had worked, she had helped us leave for 40 years through the wilderness, and Miriam was not going to get to see the promised land. And we get to verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation. Folks, have we not seen this already? This isn't the first time they started complaining about water. He says there's no water for the congregation. And so they did what? They assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we have perished with our brothers when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of God in the wilderness that we die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to this evil place? Here, they come back up against the leaders that God has brought them, and they go to accusing, not God, they go to accusing Moses. They quarrel with him, and here are their accusations. Number one, would it not have been better that we died? We would have been better to die with our rebellious brothers who have died already in the wilderness. You know, isn't it interesting, when you begin to rebel against God and his leaders, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Man, I know we need water, but man, it'd just be better if we were dead. They would have rather, they are about to go in the promised land. They were a year away from going in the promised land. And as soon as one little thing takes them out of their comfort zone, what do they do? They lose their faith in God. They lose their trust in God. Folks. Listen, they obviously know about the rebellion of their brothers. They obviously know about how God has already, one time before, provided water out of a rock. They have eaten manna. They have eaten quail. God has provided time and time and time again. But the moment their comfort zone and their perfect living conditions get taken away, what happens? They respond in unbelief. Folks, aren't we a whole lot like the Israelites? Oh, it's great. I can believe in God when the bank account's full of money, and I got the house I want, and I got the car that I want, and our health is where we want it to be, and everything is going right. But it only takes one little thing, one bill that we weren't expecting, one health concern that we weren't prepared for, one little thing, and what do we do? We respond in unbelief. Here they say, okay, Moses... I got you. We should have just died in the wilderness. We would rather die. And guess what? Now let's just step into Moses' place here. Because Moses is about to do something that's going to change his life. But just for a moment, what has just happened to Moses? His sister died. And if I were Moses, don't you think Moses just in his heart probably just said, You know what? I know about death. I didn't sign up for this job. You want to talk about how you'd rather die. Guess what? My sister just died and never got to go in there because of your rebellious brothers. Right? If they had gone up 40 years ago, we had been in the, in the promised land. My sister would have experienced the promised land. But she has put up with all your junk for 40 years because of your rebellious brothers. And now you wish you were them? Can you imagine what is going through Moses' mind? This was not a cakewalk he's grieving the loss of his sister and immediately he turned and said, we wish we were dead too. And he says, no, I understand death. Look what else they accuse him of. Number two, they blame Moses for this trip. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here? Both we and our cattle? I mean, who are they not blaming? They're not blaming God. We're the assembly of the Lord. Guess who's messed up? Our leader. You have taken us out in the wilderness to die. We are the people of God. We're the covenant people of God. And somehow you have missed the calling of God because now we're all going to die. They begin to attack his leadership. In fact, they even say we're going to die in our cattle. I mean, God would at least care for our cattle. God would at least care for his covenant people. Why are you leading us out here to die? Number three, look what they say. Why have you made us come up out of Egypt? again. You know, they don't learn, right? They, don't, they didn't learn from their fathers. Every time something comes up, they want to go where? Back to Egypt. Well, at least we had stuff to eat back there. Hey, it's the slavery, slavery of the world. It's the slavery of sin. I know, but at least we had. I'm going to go back to what we had. I don't care that they were slaves. At least they had food. They aren't going to die out here. Every time something comes up, they want to go back To the slavery that they were in. They had been born in the wilderness. But, folks, the world is more enticing when you look at the benefits of slavery than it is when you look at the cost of slavery. The world is more enticing when you look at the benefits of the enslavement instead of the cost of the enslavement. And when you begin to act, and when I begin to act, out in unbelief, guess what we are looking at? Well, you know what? That looks like a whole lot more fun than serving God. Well, if God's not going to do this for me, then I'd rather go back to consider the cost. Isn't that what Jesus said? Consider the cost of building a tower. You want to follow me? Consider the cost. Folks, we also have to consider the cost of the Slavery. And they were ready to go back. And so look at what Moses and Aaron respond. Says Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Immediately we find Moses and Aaron back in the place where they continue and continue and continue to go because of the rebellion of the people. They're back in the tent of meeting. They're on their faces. They have fallen down before the Lord and making intercession for the people. And the glory of the Lord shows up. Here they are. They respond in humility. They fall down before the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord. Can you imagine? Now, come on. Can you imagine what these people are thinking? Right? The glory of the Lord shows up. We just looked at a couple chapters ago. They responded and rebelled against the leadership of God. What happens? Ground opens up, swallows people. That would be a little shake up. Remember, they take Aaron's rod. It buds. They're God's leader. And now you rebel against them again. And here comes the glory of the Lord. The cloud coming down into the tent of meeting. You're like, whoa, here It's about to get real here. So the the Lord comes down. He's in the tent of the meeting. The glory of the Lord comes and he gives them instructions. He gives Moses three things. He says, take your staff, assemble the congregation, and you and your brother tell the rock before the eyes to yield its water. And look at verse 9. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Now, before we get to the rest of the story, understand in Exodus and Numbers, this phrase is used 35 times. I think I counted about 52 times. Moses obeying God happens in the book of Exodus and Numbers. And you read it. You read it over and over. You see, and he commanded it. And he did as God had commanded it. And he obeyed the voice of the Lord. And he, he did as he was commanded. And he did as he was commanded. Up to 50 times. The writer The Pentateuch puts in there and he did as he was commanded and he did as he was commanded I could start naming them, but you'd get bored and it it, it, you couldn't write fast enough So just if you want it afterwards. I can I can give you the list But over and over and over the right of the Pentateuch says and Moses obeyed God And this time starts out just like every other time Moses obeys God then Moses, verse 10, and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he says, "Here now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Now there is a lot of debate about what Moses did wrong here. Some people say that it was a fact that Moses here, when he says, Shall we bring water out of the rock? Was claiming the place of God. That it was something he was going to do. But if you look back in verse 8, it says, so you shall bring water out of the rock for them. That's God speaking. You will bring the water out. So he is pretty much almost quoting verse 8. Some say that it was because he struck the rock and started instead of speaking to it. Some say it's because he struck it twice and not once. But as we read the passage, note, God doesn't tell you why. It's not important. What is important is, is God knows Moses' heart. It is his heart response. So look what he says. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with a staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their livestock. So Moses and Aaron are in the tent. They come out. They gather them together. He strikes the rock. Water comes out. It looks good, doesn't it? Everything looks, I mean, yeah, God said to speak to it. He struck it. He struck it twice. He was angry. All these other emotions coming through. But in the end, what happens? God brings water out and it comes out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land. That I have given them. Wow. Wait a second. 50 times. You can look through. And Moses obeyed. Moses obeyed. He did what was commanded. He did what was commanded. He did what was commanded. And here he acts out in unbelief. And the judgment of God comes down and says what? You will not go into the promised land. Whoa, whoa, God, that's a little harsh. Isn't it? I mean, if we had a vote today, I mean, we're not going to do it in church because we wouldn't want to do that in church. But if we had a vote today, wouldn't you all say, man, that's a little bit harsh. I mean, he has obeyed you. He's put up with all this garbage from these people for all these years. They're always fighting against him. They're always quarreling with him. They're always rejecting him. And now his sisters died. God, I mean, emotionally, he was kind of a wreck anyways. And now, I mean, one time, God says, you have acted in unbelief. Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is a man that was called more humble than any on the face of the earth in chapter 12, verse 3. And here he acts out in pride. He was faithful, numbers 12, 7, but here he falls. He has spoken to God face to face, but here he defames the very name of God. And there's some irony in this story. If you look, Moses says, here now you what? Rebels, right? He calls the people rebels. But if you look over, when God in verse, when God says, uh, you are Aaron, gather people together in verse 24, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to you, people of Israel, because you have what? Rebelled. Aaron, you're not going to the promised land. You have rebelled. Rebelled. It's the same word. Hear Moses and Aaron saying, you rebels. These people are rebelling against God. But in their heart, guess what happened? They were rebelling themselves. Take your Bible. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Keep your finger in numbers. We'll be right back there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul picks up on this. Paul picks up on this, and you'll hear, I'm sure, some of this next week in 21, too, because Paul goes to this passage, he's speaking in chapter 10 about idolatry, and he's warning him against idolatry, and look what he says, chapter 10, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. For I want you to know, brothers, that our, pa- our fathers pa- all, were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized in, to Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed him. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with some of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, for as some of them, for as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Drop down to verse twelve. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. What does Paul say? Paul says this is a warning against idolatry. But take heed, Moses, standing up there. You guys are rebe- rebelling against God. You're rebels. You're rebels. You're rebels. God's going to say, Moses, Aaron, you're not going to the promised land because you what rebelled against me even the great leader one of the, the man that was the most humble on the face of the earth the one that spoke face to face with God did not uphold God as holy and he sinned and when he sinned he could no longer go into the promised land Moses did not uphold God as holy but here's the amazing thing look what God says verse 13 These are the waters of Meribah, which means quarreling, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. They didn't want to say they were quarreling with the Lord, right? Everything, all the accusations were against Moses, but God knew you attack my leader, you attack me. But Moses had decided it was an attack on himself, and he responded out of anger, and he acted out in unbelief, and what happened? He Defame the, the name of God. He did not uphold God as holy, but through it all, God says, at the end of verse 13, through them he showed himself holy. You know what God did? God kept his word. Because what did he tell Moses? I will provide water. Moses strikes the rock twice, and guess what? Water comes out. And God shows himself holy. Why? Because Christ was the rock. Jesus picks up this in John chapter 4, right? He meets with the Samaritan woman. He says, what? I am the living water. I bring satisfaction. The rock out there, that was me. God says, you know what? Moses responded out of unbelief. And he did not hold himself up, his God up, As holy in the eyes of the people of Israel but God showed himself holy God never fails God never breaks his promises but folks listen when we respond out of unbelief what are we doing to the name of our holy God that we claim to worship what are we doing to the name of our holy God God says you acted unbelieving what did you do to my name in front of the children of Israel you defamed it. It didn't make God less holy. But in front of the people, God's leader had acted in unbelief, and it defamed the name of God. Folks, listen to me, how many times do we act out in unbelief? One of the reasons I had Jay did hit, do his first, because you want to start talking about faith? How much you believe that God is really in control? And how sovereign you believe God really is, is demonstrated by how much you pray. Because if you really think God is in control, and God answers prayers, that He claims that He answers, and that God has told us to pray, and you don't pray, what are you saying about your God? That you don't believe that He's in control. And that you don't believe He'll answer prayers. And that you don't believe, "I, I, I, I can do it myself. Folks, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Because when we sin, we are acting out in unbelief that we don't think God can take care of us. That we don't think God is holy, that God God is righteous, that God has this under control. And Moses, 50 times, I've obeyed, I've obeyed, I've obeyed. He acts out in unbelief, you're not going into the promised land. But in all of that, even in the judgment of God, which we would say, well, I just don't know if that's fair. God says, I showed myself holy. Folks, we need to make sure that in our walk, that the way we act, the way we live, the way we respond, no matter what the emotional makeup of our day has been, no matter what the situation you're walking through, that our actions are still acted out in belief in God. God does not just give you a pass because, oh, you had a bad day or a bad month. God wants you to live in faith and trust him. And here Moses responds out of unbelief, and it keeps him from being able to go into the promised land. Then we see... Moses sending messengers, verse 14. He sends messengers to Kadesh, to the king of Edom. If you remember, the people had responded out, just like in chapter 14. What happened in chapter 14? They were told to go in the promised land, and they responded in unbelief, right? Oh, the giants are too big. We can't go in there. We're like grasshoppers. Remember that? God says, all right. Then you're going to wander the wilderness. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now we'll go up. And what happened when they went up? Now we'll go to the promised land, respond in unbelief. Now we'll go in. And God said, nope. And they were defeated. Here, Moses acts out in unbelief. It is the 40th year. It is about time to go into the promised land. And, and he acts out in unbelief. And immediately he says, all right, let's start heading to the promised land. And guess what happens? A roadblock. Just like in chapter 14. He says to the king of Edom, oh, you know, you can just think, oh, they're they're related to us. Man, I mean, these people know our history. We're we're related to them. I'm sure they'll let us go through. And so he says, thus says your brother, Israel, We're, we're, we're related. You know of all the hardships that we have met. How our fathers went down to Egypt. We lived in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians dealt harshly with us. And our fathers, we cried to the Lord, and He heard our voice. He sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. The king's highway was a major travel route. Listen, this is what He's saying: We're related, blood relatives you know of all the hardship we've had we won't touch anything just let us pass through I mean surely you'd do that for us what happens he says Edom said to him verse 18 you shall not pass through lest I come out with, against you with a sword people said to him Whoa, we will go up by the highway if we drink of your water and livestock we'll pay for it let me pass through nothing more He said, you aren't going to pass through. And they came out with them with a large army and a strong force. You say, well, Edom, what? No, Edom's going to pay. Read Amos chapter 1. Edom's going to pay for this. But what you see here is the same picture in Numbers chapter 14. Act out in unbelief. God keeps them from going to the promised land. Act out in unbelief. Roadblock in your life. And here... They want to go up. This would be a source of contention for Israelite and need them the rest of their days. But their path was blocked. Why? Because Moses had been responding in unbelief. How many times? Well, I know I messed up, but God should do. I know I've done this, and I maybe I didn't act in faith, and maybe I acted on unbelief. But God, you, you I mean, look at all the hardship I've gone through. You've got to let me have one slide. Folks, if you read and you see nothing else in the book of Numbers, God is holy. God doesn't let one slide because one sliding would mean he is no longer holy. God says, you act out in unbelief, roadblock. It's not going to be easy. And so they journeyed from Kadesh and the people of Israel and the whole congregation came to Mount Hor. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, At the border, let Aaron be gathered to his people. Here we see Aaron's death, but in Aaron's death, I don't want you to miss, this is a demonstration of God's grace. He said, let him be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against me and my command at the waters of Meribah. We see two things, I think, here that we see God's grace at work. Number one, God did not leave Israel without an intercessor. God says, take Eliezer, put his garments on, here's the next high priest. But I also think you see in Aaron, God says, let Aaron be gathered to his people. This is an Old Testament term used for the righteous at death. Those that are accursed are abandoned, cut off from the people of God. The righteous are gathered together with the people of God. He says, let Aaron be gathered to his people. Aaron's sin was serious. But in God's grace, God did what? Those that are covenant people, the people of his covenant, God will gather together with his people. In spite of Aaron's sin, God's grace is still sufficient. So he has gathered his people, and they stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son. Of Verse 26. And Aaron shall be gathered his people, and he will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation, and Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, put them on Eliezer, his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Eliezer and Moses came down from the mountain, and when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron for thirty days. Aaron dies here on the top of the mountain because he had rebelled against God. But I do want you to see here that most, neither Moses nor Aaron argue with it. Moses and Aaron knew God's holiness. Remember back in the beginning of the chapter, they, they bowed, bowed down and fell prostrate before the tent of meeting where the glory of the Lord came and the Lord spoke to them. They knew they were wrong. And they knew the holiness of God. And here they had acted in unbelief. The, con- uh, the condemnation that they had was a fact that they acted in unbelief. That one time they decided, I am not going to trust God in this situation. I'm going to act out of my own frustration. I'm going to act out of my own anger. I've been waiting years to do this. Now's my time. And whether it was the grief of their sister, or they were just fed up with it, or the excitement of looking at going to the promised land, they sinned and acted in unbelief, and God said, that's enough. And they wouldn't go into the promised land. But in spite of all that, my friend, God's grace was sufficient. God would gather Aaron to his people. God still provided water out of the rock. He still showed himself holy. And so I ask you, what is it that causes you to question the holiness and the grace of God? What is it that will draw us from following God, following God, following God, to saying, you know what, God, I I just don't believe anymore? Health of a loved one? Money? People attacking us? What people say about us? What is it that we do that acts out in unbelief? Because folks, praise the Lord, God always shows himself holy. And though we rejoice in that fact, it's not always the easiest fact for us to deal with. Moses deserved to go in. Miriam deserved to go in. Aaron deserved to go in. No, they didn't. They sinned. And a holy God, Holy God must always judge sin. But as we see the holiness of God, rejoice in the fact that God's grace is sufficient, and God still gathers him to himself the covenant people of God, God still keeps his promises. Let's bow our head, close our eyes. Folks, for just a minute, I want us to consider what are our actions, what are our lives, what are the way we live and that we think and that we speak evidence of? Are we defaming the name and the holiness of God by being called the people of God, but in acting in total unbelief? What is it in our lives? What are the actions? What what is the way we live? What are the things that we say? What are our attitudes that demonstrate unbelief? A lack of faith in God. What is it that the people around us would look at your life and my life and say, you know what, I just don't know if they really believe in what they say they know or what they say they believe. What is it about your life that defines you and how you see and how you react to the God you say you serve.